Amos chapter 1, starting with verse number 2, and it reads as follows. And he said, The Lord will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem, and the habitations of the shepherds shall mourn, and the top of Carmel shall wither. Thus saith the Lord, For three transgressions of Damascus, and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they have thresh Gilead with threshing instruments of iron. But I will send a fire into the house of uh, Hazael, which shall devour the places of Ben-Hadad. I will break also the bar of Damascus and cut the inhabitant from the plain of Avon and cut him that holdeth the scepter from the house of Eden. And the people of Syria shall go into captivity under curse, saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they carried away captive the whole captivity to deliver them up to Edom. But I will send a fire on the wall of Gaza, which shall devour the places thereof. And I will cut off the inhabitant from Ashad, and him that holdeth the scepter from Ashkelon. And I will turn mine hand against Ekron, and the remnant of the Philistines shall perish, saith the Lord God. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Tyrus and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they delivered up the whole captivity to Edom. And remembered not the brotherly covenant. But I will send a fire, a fire on the wall of Tyrus, which shall devour the places, the palaces thereof. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Edom and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because he did pursue his brother with the sword and did cast off all pity, and his anger did tear perpetually. And he kept his wrath forever. But I will send a fire upon Teman, which shall devour the places of Basra. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of the children of Ammon, and for four I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they have ripped up the woman with the child of Gilead, that they might enlarge their border. But I will kindle a fire in the wall of Rabbah, and it shall devour the palaces thereof, with shouting in the day of battle, and tempest in the day of the whirlwind. And their king shall go into captivity, he and his princes together, saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Moab and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because he burned the bones of the king of Edom into lime. But I will send a fire upon Moab, and it shall devour the palaces of Kiriath, and Moab shall die with tumult, with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. And I will cut off the judge from the midst thereof, and will slay the princes thereof with him, saith the Lord. Let's pray. A lot of verses to talk about today. Dear God, thank you for your word, the Bible that we have it to learn from, to study from, to have it be our guide in our lives. Be with me now to try to speak your word, to teach your word, that your lessons may, you know, reach this congregation with all the other Sunday schools going on right now. That likewise, your message is heard, your message is imparted, your message is part of our hearts. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Continue with our study of the book of Amos. Last time we had our introduction. We covered verse 1. We covered who is Amos. What did he talk about? Amos, if you remember from verse 1, was a simple shepherd. Right? He's a simple shepherd. Nothing too fancy about this guy. Right? He wasn't some fancy priest or anything like that. He was just a regular guy. A shepherd. Cared for animals. Also picked fruits. But God used him nonetheless to deliver this great message. The message of the book of Amos, right? And what is this message about? The message, we'll talk a lot about it today and going on forward. The theme of this message, the theme of this book, the theme is that judgment is near. Judgment. This book is all about God's judgment. So if you learn nothing else from this whole Sunday school series about Amos, learn this one word, 
Judgment. Judgment. When you think of Amos, you think of judgment, right? Last time, we thought, we, th- we thought about Joel. Joel is about being sovereign, right? God is sovereign. Did Hosea, that was all about repenting, repenting. We've got to repent. Amos is about judgment. Judgment. So he shared that message, like we said last time, just a regular guy. And we highlighted how God does, we see throughout the Bible, just use regular guys, right? And how it's true that all of us here are also regular guys, and we can also serve God, right? All of us here probably can say we're more educated than Amos ever was. I'm quite confident he never went to school or anything like that. He, ne- <coughs> he never got any kind of real education. You don't need much education to be a shepherd, right? But he was able to serve God and share his message. How much so we, who spent so many years going to school, learning, having all this education, the ability to go to church here, Sunday school, messages, learning, hearing his word. How much so should we be able to share that message with other people and serve him? So that's what we talked about last time. Today we're going to the meat, the substance of this book to see what he's talking about. And we see, as we read, we see a lot of repetition, right? We see a lot of repeated words, a lot of words of judgment. All right, let's just look right into verses number three to five, for example, right? Three to five says, let's say to the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, right? Uh, verse number six, again, right? For three transgressions of Gaza and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof. Verse number nine, for three transgressions of Tyrus and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof. And you'll see it also in 11 and 13. And in chapter 2, verse 1, the same saying, right? What is God talking about when he lays out this saying? For three transgressions and for four. Now, what it doesn't mean is that, oh, Damascus did three sins, and now they did four sins, right? I don't think this is meant to be taken that literally to say they did three things that were wrong, and now there's four things that were wrong, you know? Now here comes the punishment, right? Because we know that most likely in these countries, they probably did way more than three sins, right? Think about all the people that lived in Damascus and in Gaza and in Tyre and in all these other places, right? They, they sinned, they did stuff that was wrong, and God lists out the stuff that they did wrong here. But the idea being that when we see this expression, this saying, for three sins and for four, Right? Not that for three transgressions and for four. Again, it doesn't mean that literal three transgressions and the fourth. The idea is that, oh, you sinned and you sinned, and now it's one too many. Right? That was the last, kind of like, you heard the saying we used to say, it's kind of like the last straw. Right? It's the last straw. It's the one that pushes you over the edge. Right? Because we know this, that God is patient. God doesn't always come right through with immediate punishment for our sins, our wrongdoings, our transgressions, right? God is a forgiving God at times, right? You know, sometimes we've seen in the Bible that, yes, he strikes people dead right away for their transgressions, but sometimes not so, right? Sometimes people have time. They have time to repent. They have time to do, you know, to do better, and sometimes time to do worse. I think by this saying here, what God is really saying is that, like I said, this, they sinned so much, it pushed them over the line, right? I gave you a chance, right? I gave you a chance, and you screwed up again. And you screwed up again. 
and you screwed up again. It's as if, you know, it was like we gave you three strikes and you're out. Well, this is like God saying four strikes and you're out, right? We gave you so many chances, not just three strikes. Four strikes and you're out. You're over the line. You push me that I have no choice, but that judgment is coming. That's the expression we have here when we talk about for three transgressions and for four. He has no choice. You pushed him over the edge. God's got to come with the punishment. What kind of sins do these countries do, right? Do these kingdoms do? Well, it's kind of hard to say they're super applicable to us. A lot of them are kind of like national sins, sins of the country, sins during warfare. Obviously, you should not do any of these things, right? But I think most of us aren't in that position where this will ever happen, right? For example, for example, um, in verse number three, it says Damascus is punishment because they threshed Gilead too harshly, right? With instruments of iron. In verse number six, Verse number six, it says Gaza gets punishment because of they carried away captive the whole captivity. That means they took the whole country they conquered into slavery instead of, for example, just taking the men into slavery or whatever. They took everyone, even the women and children. Oh, that's too harsh. God didn't like that, right? Or verse number nine, verse number nine. Similarly, right? They delivered up the whole captivity to Edom, right? Verse number 11, verse number 11, uh, talking about Edom, right? The Edomites, uh, the children of Esau, right? Keeping their anger against Israel, right? Perpetually, right? Keeping that wrath forever, holding that grudge for so long. Verse number uh, 13, some very uh, bad things done by the Ammonites. The Ammonites, it says that they ripped up women with child. It means they killed pregnant women, right? God certainly does not like that, right? Ripped up women with child. So he says that's a bad thing. Don't do it. Obviously, we know today we should not do that, right? Finally, chapter 2, verse 1, the bad thing that God identifies that was done by the Moabites. It said they burned the bones of the king of Edom into lime. God didn't like that, right? So these are all kind of bad things, mostly stuff that probably happened during like wars and stuff. You know, bad conduct during warfare, right? Killing pregnant women, burning the king's bones to a crisp, right? Uh, uh, being too harsh with their weapons, enslaving people. Now, obviously today, I don't think any of us here are military. None of us here are fighting wars, Right, so hopefully these lessons aren't that necessary. Right, we know that we're not going to go like murder people in such horrible ways or whatever. Right, but what can we learn from Amos here and his message of judgment to all these different countries, to the Philistines and the Ammonites, to the Moabites, the Edomites, to all these people? Well, I think this goes right to the heart of Amos's message. The heart of Amos's message is that judgment is near. And for these people that he's talking to, these countries, he was warning them that the judgment is coming. The judgment is coming. The judgment is near. And the judgment did come. Right? We see all these things. So on each one of these little sections, there is a little description of the judgment of what happened to them. Like, for example, when he talks about Damascus, in verse number five, right? About how uh, Damascus will be cut off. Or verse number, uh, number uh, uh, eight, the Philistines shall perish. Or verse number 
Ten, the palace in Tyrus will be destroyed. So on and so forth. You see like the judgment that he announces for each uh, country. And you see it, it's, it's listed out in kind of an orderly fashion, right? So he talks about this judgment. And here's the truth. We know, because we have the benefit, remember, Amos is writing this before it happened. We have the benefit of history and knowing afterwards. Let's just look on the map right now. Do you see on the map the country of Moab, the country of Edom, the country of Tyrus? You don't. Because guess what happened? God's judgment actually was enacted against these people for all their sins, for all their wrongdoings. It happened. Their palaces did get burned down, right? There was a fire burning down their walls and all these things, right? It happened because God's judgment is real. That's what these verses remind us. God's judgment is real. God's judgment is near. People didn't understand that. That's the message Amos is trying to get past to them. That you guys got to realize God's coming. God's ready to judge. Clean up your act, guys. Clean up your act. Unfortunately, it's human nature to not think about judgment unless it's near, right? Unless judgment is near, it's the farthest thing from our mind, right? It's not something we worry about. They probably didn't worry about it. They think about, oh, you know, God's judgment, whatever. Who cares? Who knows when that is or what that is? We don't even believe in God or whatever. Don't care. Right? But should we care? Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. We saw the consequences. Because there are real, actual, physical, literal consequences. But instead, we delay and we defer. Think about it this way. For you college people, right? What is your judgment? Your judgment when you go to school is your test, right? And your grades. That's what college people you do. And you go to school, and there's a judgment every semester. You get a grade in your class. You get an A, B, C, D, F, right? And if you're like most people, like when I was in school, right? When I was in high school, this is the way I approached that kind of judgment, right? You know when the test is. The test is on April 25th or whatever. What does that mean? You wait until April 24th, and you say, oh, now it's time to study, because the test is tomorrow. I better study. The test is tomorrow. I better, if I don't do well, I'm going to get the bad judgment, right? I'm going to get the good judgment. I'm going to get the good grade. Therefore, the test is April 25th. It's now April 24th. It's time for me to study, right? And that's what I used to do in high school, and then I didn't do that great in high school, right? Why? Because I didn't care about that judgment until the last second, right? Only when it's close. Do you care about it, right? Oh, it's close. It's tomorrow. All right, now might be a good time to study, right? I don't want to get a bad grade. I'm going to study one day. So after that experience in high school, I learned the lesson when I went to college, right? When I went to college, I realized, you know, that whole waiting till the last day to study thing didn't work out that well. So when I got to college, I got smarter. And I did something that maybe some of you college students even don't do today, which is when I know the test is coming, it's coming, let's say, on April 25th. I actually start studying one week in advance, right? You say, aha, I know the test is coming. Therefore, instead of waiting the last day when you have to cram everything and you won't learn everything and you do badly on the test, I say, I got one week to study for this test, right? So I spent a whole week studying. And guess what? The test seems a lot easier when you've been studying a whole week for the test, right? So I would study one week for the test and then do a lot better. But you know what? 
Then he went to law school. And then I realized what people did in law school. People take it very seriously because in each semester, there's only one test. Like there's no like, you know, how in college you have like multiple tests a year. There's only one test per semester. So some people took it very, very seriously. They don't, they do literally, they cannot wait till the last day or the last week. So I saw what other people are doing and I said, oh, they're studying so much. So you know what I did? I studied one month before the test. Well, why is all the test coming? I said, oh, I better get ready, right? That judgment is coming. It's like a big deal. You want to get a good grade. You got to study starting one month before the final exam, one month before the test. Right? Because otherwise, how can you learn like a whole semester's worth of stuff in just one day or even one week? You can't. It's impossible. But you know, even I was not the most extreme because, you know, I, that's, that's the most I ever did. The most I ever did is one month before the test. But I had people I knew who I thought were crazy, right? And they told me this. Because they had nothing else to do, I guess, right? They had nothing else to do. They had moved up here just for school. They lived in the dorms. They had nothing else, I guess. And they told me this. Oh, yeah, Norman. You know, about halfway through the semester, that's when I start studying for the final exam. I said, they told me, I wake up at 6 a.m. and I start studying. And then I go to class. And then after class, when I get off, I have nothing else to do. So I start studying for the test or whatever. And that's all I do. I thought, and I said, you know, you're crazy, right? I <laughs> you know, you have a life or something, right? But guess what? When we took the test and when the judgment came, that person was like the top student in the class and she got like straight A's and all that kind of stuff like that. I said, well, it worked, right? Why? Well, she's prepared for the judgment. She was ready. You know, I was sort of ready, right? I one month. That's not too bad. Based on my old standard before of studying one day before the test, I thought studying one month before is pretty good. She studied like half a year, you know, halfway through the semester. I start studying like crazy already, <laughs> right? She's prepared. She knows that, hey, I got to be ready for that judgment when it comes, right? In our lives, do we think about God's judgment? Are we ready for that when it comes? A lot of times we don't think about it because it seems so ambiguous, so uncertain. When is God's judgment? Who knows? But the problem is that that's the issue. We don't know. And we ought to assume that God's judgment is near and live our life as if God's judgment is near. And that will affect the way we would make decisions and do things. For the most fundamental thing, if you're the unsaved, right? For the unsaved people, right? You say, oh, do you want to get saved? I don't know. Maybe God's judgment is not coming for a long time, right? Who knows when you're going to die? I'm not going to die for 50 years, right? Therefore, I don't need to make a decision for 50 years. That's what some people might say or think. But you don't know. God could take someone any time, right? We see tragically on the news all the time, young people, right? Don't leave that long, right? You never know sometimes. I was just talking to Elaine one time. Elaine... She met up with a bunch of high school people the other day and how, uh, friends of hers. And one of the girls talking about how her husband at age 30-something died in a boating accident and left her with the two kids, right? Kind of sad, right? Oh, he's only like 30-something. The kids are only two years and four years old and it was a boating accident and he died. You're not saved. Judgment could come at any time. So number one, you got to think judgment is near. You got to get saved today. 
How many people? How sadly have I heard, right? I've talked to people and I've tried to witness to them. Some of them say, oh, you know, you know, I'm young. I want to explore. I want to learn about different religions first. I don't want to commit to anything yet. So I'm not going to get saved today. How sad it is for them to not realize that judge judgment could be at any time. For all of us, maybe that we're already saved. God still has judgment for us. He still judges our sins. He still looks at our behavior. We'll be caught, like Jesus talked about, right? By those people, like ten virgins or whatever, that's not ready when, the day, when God comes, when that day comes, when we stand before God and account for our behavior, right? Do we still want to be embarrassed and say, oh, we didn't do the right thing, we acted wrongly? We'll be in regret that we weren't prepared. Or we'll be able to say, yeah, we did it. We lived the best we could. A lot of times, again, we're procrastinating because you think that judgment isn't near. When you're in high school or college, you say, oh, I can't focus on God right now. I got to get good grades in school. I got to get through this one hurdle first. I'll get to you, God, next. I'll study your Bible after I study my text. And then what happens? You graduate and you get a job. God, I got to put it off again, right? Right now, I got to focus on my job. I, I just started. It's my first year. I can't get to you yet. I'll do it later. I'm not worrying right now. God's judgment is coming later. God's going to look at me later. I have time. Oh, I can't do it now because now I'm getting married. I got to tend to my family. God, tend to my kids. How long does it take? For some people, it sounds like you don't get to God until you hit retirement age. And when you hit retirement age, who knows what happens by then, right? Maybe you die, right? Maybe that's it. Maybe we missed our chance. Maybe God will judge us for that, of how we didn't care for Him and do what's right by Him and serve Him and follow Him in our lives. Always thinking, oh, it's way down the road. Judgment here. No, no, judgment is near. Judgment is real for the unsaved, for the saved, for all of us. That's the message of Amos told through all these other countries. Not just don't do all the war crimes, right? But also don't do all the wrong in our life. To be rid of sin now, not later. All right, let's end off with a word of prayer. People are banging down the door, right? Dear God, thank you for Amos. Story of the judgment might not be as applicable today, but we know that your judgment of sin continues on. Are we putting off sin in our life today, right now, getting it out of our life? God, we sure hope we are, right? Please help us with that, Lord, that we're moving away from that. And if we're not saved, please help us turn to you right now for salvation, even more so. How important is that? God, we ask that you watch over the rest of this Sunday. They continue to worship and honor and glorify you. Praise things in Jesus' name. Amen.